You're listening to a sermon podcast from Agape Baptist Church, recorded live from our Sunday service. Good morning, church. Today's scripture reading comes from the books of Matthew, John, and Luke, starting with Matthew chapter 22, verse 31 to 32. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. Now on to John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And finally, Luke chapter 24, verses 1 to 7. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day, rise. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Adrian. Uh, very good morning, everyone. The Lord bless you. Uh, I want to especially uh, extend a warm Easter welcome to those of you who are here for the first time, especially if you're not a Christian or you are stepping into a church for the first time. So a very warm welcome to you. I'm really glad that you could join us this morning. Now, this past week, uh, you know, is what many Christians around the world called Holy Week. Uh, during this one week each year, Christians take extra effort to remember and to relive the days leading up to Jesus' death and his subsequent resurrection. Now, this yearly uh, practice is beneficial for a number of reasons. And one of those benefits that comes with contemplating Jesus' death and resurrection uh, is that it brings the question of death to the forefront. Now, you know, as a society, we don't think about death very much. We don't like to talk about death very much. We talk a lot more about retirement and things like that, but not so much about death, uh, especially when it comes to your own death, right? Maybe for you, you, uh, for example, may not have prepared your last will and testimony because death seems like something really far away. Right? But, but death is one of life's big questions, uh, and in itself, it also contains a bunch of smaller questions. Questions like, when will I die? How will I die? Will it be painful? Will it be cancer? What legacy will I leave behind when I die? What will people remember me for? Will people even remember me at all? Who's going to come to my funeral? Who's going to mourn my passing? And then, of course, there's a question about what comes next. What happens after death? Some people might say that there's just nothing 
after death, right? It doesn't matter how you lived your life. It doesn't matter if you believe in God or not because after death, there's just nothing. And then on the other extreme, there's Haupa Villa, right? I don't know if you've been to Haupa Villa and you've seen the 10 courts of hell. Now, some say that after death comes judgment in hell. Now, Christianity, of course, uh, we have our own concept of judgment in hell. It's very different from what you would see in Haupa Villa. But there's a similar idea that there are consequences for how you live your life on earth. So even in death, it matters how you lived your life. So which is true, right? Is it nothingness or hell that comes after death? And I, I guess that's the question everybody's trying to figure out. Well, in the 17th century, uh, there was this mathematician and a philosopher, his name is Blaise Pascal, and he thought about what comes after death, and he came to this conclusion. Uh, he says, let us weigh the gain and loss in wagering, in betting, in gambling, that God is, that God is real. Let us estimate these two chances. If you gain, you gain all. If you lose, you lose nothing. Wager then without hesitation that he is, that God is real. Now what Pascal is saying is that there are consequences to what we believe. To Pascal, believing in God and the afterlife is the more rational, the more beneficial belief as compared to dismissing God and the afterlife. Now, if you're like me, you probably don't fully agree with what Pascal says, but what's important is that he has given thought to death and the many questions that come with it. And we may be living in the 21st century, but the death is still the question that we have all got to figure out for ourselves. Now this morning, uh, I wanna talk not just about your own death, but particularly about the death of loved ones. I wanna talk about the relational impact of death. Two years ago in March 2021, my wife and I, you know, we decided to have an early night. We went to sleep early. We woke up the next morning to a mountain of WhatsApp messages and missed calls. We didn't know what had happened. Uh, we were only told to head down to my in-law's place as soon as possible. We rushed down. We found the house full of my wife's relatives, uh, all there. And when we went in, we just learned like that, that my father-in-law had passed away. He was 64 years old. His death was sudden. There had been very few warning signs. And nobody saw this coming. Now, his death brought our lives to a grinding halt. Right? Everything had to be put on hold. Plans that we had for work, uh, plans we had for a family staycation. There was just a reshuffle in priorities. Things that were important the night before, suddenly they were no longer important the next morning. But on top of that, there were these dreams that were shattered. Particularly the dreams that Crystal and I had for my father-in-law. Right? He, he loved children and we wanted to bless him with grandchildren to enjoy he was a man of few words, but we wanted to get to know him better. And of course, we wanted to bring him to church to tell him about Jesus. But with his death, all these dreams were shattered. And they were replaced with disappointment. How could he have died just like that? Why didn't we spend more time with him? Why, didn't, why did we take it for granted that we always had more time? Now friends, death is not just a personal tragedy. Death has a relational impact. Losing someone means that plans, 
and aspirations are delayed indefinitely. They are put infinitely on hold. Death means that dreams are shattered because as long as there's life, there's hope. But once life succumbs to death, hope succumbs to disappointment. So the question this morning is, how do you face death, especially the death of a loved one? When death comes knocking on the door, how do you answer? How do you move forward? What do you do with the dreams that are shattered, the plans that are delayed indefinitely? How do you find hope in the face of death's disappointment? Now, in Christianity, there's only one real answer to the question of death, and that answer is captured in a single word, the word resurrection. Now, resurrection is not reincarnation. It's not where you die and then you're reborn in a different shape or, or form. Resurrection is not reanimation, where uh, your rotting corpse rises from the grave like a zombie. If death is about wasting away, about deterioration, and about eventually succumbing in defeat to the grave, then in Christianity, resurrection is about immortality. Resurrection is about reviving the strength of your youth. Resurrection is about victory over the grave. So this morning, I want to just share with us three stories with you about the resurrection. Uh, these are three stories that we heard uh, shared with us over the, uh, just now through the scripture reading. And I want to just share about how resurrection is the answer we're looking for to the question of death. So if you're ready, let's begin with the first story. Now, the first story is about a debate that Jesus had about the resurrection. And in this story, Jesus is confronted by a group of people who did not believe at all in the resurrection. Now, maybe you, you yourself, you know, you find the idea of a resurrection, you know, a second life after death, you find it quite silly. It's quite superstitious. And I just want to let you know that you're not alone in thinking this way, right? Even in the Bible, most people found the whole idea of a resurrection very far-fetched, very ridiculous. And in this first story, Jesus is confronted by some guys who found the whole idea of a resurrection just so silly, so irrational. And so they confronted Jesus and they presented him with a hypothetical problem, right? They just wanted to prove how ridiculous this whole idea of resurrection is. So they said to Jesus, Jesus, there were seven brothers. The oldest brother was married, but he had no children. Now one day, this oldest brother died. Now, as per the customs and the traditions of that time, the second brother then marries the widow in order to bear children on behalf of the deceased brother. But then again, before he had any children, the second brother also died. And now it was the third brother's turn to marry the widow. And again, this third brother, before having any children, he too died. Right? And this cycle repeats itself with all seven brothers and then finally, the woman herself dies. And so the men, these men said to Jesus, So Jesus, since you believe in the resurrection, here's the question. When all the seven brothers and this woman are resurrected again, who will claim this woman as his wife? Because on earth, she had been married to all seven brothers. So in the resurrection, which of these brothers will be her husband? Now, it's a very clever question, I mean, especially in that context and in that time. And uh, what it does is that it just shows how silly it is to believe in something like a resurrection. 
But Jesus responds firstly by pointing out that their assumption about the resurrection is flawed, right? That there will no longer be marriage in the resurrection. There will be no husband, there will be no wife. Now, after you've answered that, that immediate question, Jesus then answers the deeper question. And that deeper question is, is there a resurrection or not? And to this, Jesus says, sorry, and as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? And God said, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. Now, Jesus was speaking to religious men, and so he, Jesus went back to the religious scriptures, and Jesus pulled out this incident where God referred himself as the God of certain men who were at that time long dead, right? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were long dead. But God didn't introduce himself by saying, I was the God of Abraham, and I was the God of Isaac, and I was the God of Jacob. Instead, God introduced himself by saying, I am the God of these three long dead men. And Jesus' conclusion is that God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Right? And this is astounding. You see, in the Bible, there is no God of the dead. There is no ruler of the underworld. Right? It's not like in Greek or Roman mythology where you have uh, Hades or Pluto. You know, and these guys are, are deemed as the rulers of the underworld. In the Bible, there is only one God. Right? And there is no other. And the Christian God is a God of life. He gives life. He is the source of all vitality and flourishing. And this is so central to who God is that at one time, people who had touched dead animals or who had touched uh, dead human corpses, they weren't allowed to come near to God or to come near to God's temple because God is a God of life, not a God of death. And so those who had drawn near to death, they were not allowed to come near to God. Now, what Jesus is saying is that there is a resurrection. Why? Because God is the God of the living, not the dead. He's a God of life, not a God of death. And so to Jesus, the basis of the resurrection is God's character, his nature as the source and the giver of all life. Now, that's the first story. And what I want you to remember is that the basis of the resurrection is God's nature. God is the God of the living, not of the dead. Now let's take a look at the second story. The second story is about three siblings, two sisters and a brother. The brother's name is Lazarus. The sister's names were Mary and Martha. Now Lazarus had fallen really sick. He was dying. In desperation, Mary and Martha, they called for Jesus to come and to pay their brother Lazarus a visit. Now, at that time, Jesus was known for healing the sick, uh, even those who were at death's door. But Jesus didn't come immediately. In fact, by the time Jesus arrived, Lazarus had already died. Mary and Martha were in mourning. Their relatives, their friends were there with them, mourning with them. And Lazarus had actually been embalmed. He'd been wrapped up. He'd been buried in a tomb. When Mary heard that Jesus had finally come, she ran and fell at his feet, and she cried out to Jesus, Jesus, 
If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now Mary was hurt. She was grieved that Jesus had not made it in time to save her brother. Now how did Jesus respond to Mary's grief? The Bible gives us two words. Jesus wept. But why did Jesus weep? Because people, death has a relational impact. Someone who matters has died. Mary was weeping, the relatives were weeping, and Jesus, to whom Lazarus was a good friend, he also wept. And friends, we are, what we're reminded of here is that death is not a mathematical problem that requires a solution or a formula. Neither is death just the next frontier, the next hurdle for humanity to overcome in our so-called evolution. Death is a fundamental problem for mankind. The reality of death crushes the spirit. The unavoidability of death extinguishes hope. The constant looming possibility of death overshadows every innovation, every progress that mankind makes. Now in the Bible, death is poetically described as a valley that we all must go through. Uh, death is like a shadow that falls over all of us. Death is described as the way of no return. One poem in the Bible describes death like this. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Death is a fundamental problem. And death comes with a heavy relational impact, just as in nature. You know, when an entire uh, ecosystem can just collapse with the extinction of one species, so also one person's death has untold ramifications upon the web of relationships and interdependencies. Now there's another sister, Martha, and she also heard that Jesus had come. And so she too went out to meet Jesus and she said the exact same words to Jesus. Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But Jesus' response could not have been more different. He says to her, Martha, your brother Lazarus will live again. Now these words must have come as a shock to Martha. It's like, Jesus, what are you even saying? Now you see, Martha, like most people in the Bible, she didn't really believe in the resurrection. And so in response to what Jesus said, you know, Martha just replies with some philosophical, religious kind of mumbo-jumbo. But Jesus wasn't having any of it. And this is what Jesus says to Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. And Jesus is saying, Martha, you don't get it. I'm not being philosophical. I'm not being religious. I'm not being abstract. I'm telling you that your brother is going to return to life today. Why? Because I am here. Because I am the resurrection and the life. Now, this is the most bombastic claim you could ever hear someone saying. I imagine you just lost your loved one, maybe to cancer, and you're at the funeral, and you're sitting down, this friend pulls up a chair at the table, sits down with you, you pour out your grief to that person, and then you say to your friend, you know what, cancer is terrible. It's horrible. I really hope that they find a cure to cancer even in my lifetime. And your friend says to you in response, hey man, no worries. 
I am the cure to cancer. And it's like, what are you even saying? Right? What are you talking about? Who do you think you are? But that's the kind of bombastic statement that Jesus has just made when he declares, I am the resurrection and the life. But the amazing thing is that Jesus is not just all talk. Right? He goes up to the tomb that Lazarus is buried in. He turns to Martha and he says, open the door to the tomb. And like what I said earlier, Martha doesn't really believe in the resurrection. And so she says to Jesus, no, no, let's keep the door shut. It's very smelly. You want to open the door and let the, the stench come out. But Jesus insists, open up the tomb. And so the door is open. And then Jesus calls out into the tomb. He calls out into death, Lazarus, come out. And out of the tomb comes Lazarus, still wrapped up like a mummy. Now, I mentioned earlier that the basis for resurrection in Christianity is God's character. It's because God is the God of the living, not of the dead. But here we see that Jesus is the means through which we experience resurrection. Just as God is the God of the living, Jesus himself in his nature, in his character, he is the resurrection and the life. Friends, Jesus has come to rescue us from death. He is the one who's going to resolve the problem of death. He's the one who's going to bring life out of death and hope out of disappointment. Why? Because he is the resurrection and the life. But the question is, how will Jesus do that? Is Jesus going to go from graveyard to graveyard, calling out people by name, and then they come forth? And if you think about it, these guys who come forth, they're going to die again anyway. So how is Jesus going to do this? Now, the answer to this question is found in our third resurrection story. The third resurrection story is the Easter story. Many of us, I believe, know that Jesus was executed. He was crucified, which means that he was nailed onto a cross and left to die a slow, tortuous death. And on the surface, if you ask, why did Jesus die? Jesus was executed for political reasons. Jesus had become too popular and those who were in power, those who held position and influence, they become very jealous of Jesus, and they were worried that Jesus might turn the people against them. And because Jesus was making all these bombastic claims about who he is, like the one we heard earlier, Jesus' enemies were able to charge him with blasphemy and to put him to death. So on the surface, it looks like Jesus was executed because of political jealousy, but beneath the surface there was something else going on. You see, in the three years leading up to Jesus' death, Jesus spoke many times about how he would die, that he would be betrayed, he would be falsely accused, and that he would be humiliated and finally killed. And every time Jesus spoke about his death, he always spoke about his resurrection. After talking about his death, the details of his death, Jesus would always end off by saying that on the third day after he died, he would rise again. So as what Jesus has said, he was accused, he was betrayed, he was uh, killed and murdered on the cross, he was buried in the tomb, and then comes the third day. And what we are told is that on the third day, a small group of women visited Jesus' tomb, and they came with spices. Now what is these spices for? These spices are to help with the embalming of Jesus' body in case it was already rotting. And again, you get the sense that these women didn't really believe in the resurrection. To them, Jesus is dead. 
It's a corpse, full stop. And if you wonder, where are the rest of Jesus' followers? Why aren't they there outside the tomb? Where are the, especially the men who are closest to him? You realize that they're nowhere to be found. Why? Because they honestly didn't believe in the resurrection. To them, Jesus had died, and that was the end. It was the end of their relationship with Jesus. It was the end of all the dreams that they had had while Jesus was still alive, and that was it. So this small group of women came to Jesus' tomb, but what they found was the entrance of the tomb was wide open. And worse still, the body of Jesus was missing. And while they were trying to make sense of what had happened, there were these two strange men dressed in bright white who appeared, and they spoke to the women saying, why do you seek the living among the dead? Right, they're talking about Jesus. Jesus is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Now these two strange men, they reminded the women of what Jesus had said multiple times before. Yes, he would be killed, but on the third day he would rise. And that's what had happened. Jesus is not among the dead because he is alive. Now, what is the significance of Jesus' resurrection? Earlier, I mentioned that the basis for resurrection in Christianity is God's character. God is the God of the living, not the dead. Then I mentioned that Jesus is the means through which we experience resurrection. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And here we see that it is through the death and resurrection of Jesus that we too can experience resurrection. Earlier in the story of Lazarus, Jesus had said these words to Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. We heard that earlier. Then Jesus went on to say, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So we ask the question again, why did Jesus die? Jesus died so that in his rising again, he would prove that he is who he said he is, and that he would do what he claimed he could do. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in Jesus will live just as Jesus now lives. Now, not too long ago, uh, we lost a brother in our church to cancer. Uh, his battle with cancer was such an ordeal. Many of us who were journeying with him through uh, those years, uh, we found that there were so many ups and downs. There were times where, you know, we were so hopeful that he would beat the cancer, and then there were other times where we were not so sure if he would last the night. But we prayed and we prayed and we pressed on. Now, the name of this brother is uh, Kai. I have a picture of, of him on the screen. So his fight with cancer was truly extraordinary, and if you want to hear more about it, of, about his story, there are some articles uh, under this website called Sword and Light. That's, you can find that online. Uh, but this morning, we want to hear from Kai's wife, Maria, uh, and she'll be sharing her story of loss and of bereavement and how she found hope in the resurrection of Jesus. So would you just help me in putting your hands together and let's just invite her on stage.
Thank you, Pastor Nan. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Maria. I thank God for this opportunity to be here, sharing the story of my late husband, which is also my story. More than that, it's God's story. It was a dream come true for me when I got married. Since young, I have always dreamed of a husband who loves Jesus more than he loves me. And for a man who is firmly committed in Christian principles, that he can lead me through all the ups and downs in life. Kai and I went through a tough journey before we committed to each other in marriage. Mainly because Kai was not a Christian. Kai did not become a Christian and be baptized just to marry me. He truly knew Jesus, decided to follow him all his life. Soon after we get married, this was in 2018. We started to serve in the church. Kai joined the worship ministry playing electric guitars while I served as an usher. Every Sunday we would come to church and have breakfast together and serve God after that. This is the beauty of marriage I have always prayed for when I growing up. And this came true I was very grateful. Like many newlyweds, life was a bliss, and I was so looking forward to start a new chapter with Kai, to have a child and raising him up in a loving Christian home. It's a simple dream to be contented with all we have, raising a family, serving the poor, serving in church, and caring our families and friends. During our time together, every day feels like a honeymoon because we have no kids and our families are away in Taiwan. So we enjoy others' company. But in 2020, Kai was diagnosed with stage four cancer. Although this was a sad and painful news, Kai remained steadfast and loving God. He said that many people go through trials to find Jesus, but Jesus found him first. And in this pain that he is suffering, he is not alone. Jesus is with him. His faith in Jesus also encourages me. Even though we still want to have a baby, we had to battle the cancer first. Although we were disappointed of not having a baby, we were so thankful that we didn't have to raise a child at the same time. It was also the, at this time that I started a new business with Kai's encouragement. We were hoping for the better, but in late 2021, the cancer became more aggressive. We decided to wait no more and took a leap of faith to start a family by means of IUI, a fertility treatment. To my great disappointment, we couldn't even complete the first try because we both got COVID. I must confess we were very confused. It was so hard to have to face another challenge. Still, we didn't give up. We tried again. 
not knowing that it was the last three weeks before Kai's passing. Even though it, has, it was a high-stress season, coupled with many sleepless nights, I was still hopeful that God would create a new life in me, but God didn't answer my prayers. Hoping against hope, many of you were praying alongside with me. We were praying that God would do a miracle to heal Kai completely, but he did not. It was a disappointment and I asked and I asked God why. Then in late last year, my husband passed away. Kai's passing is not only the loss of a husband, it is the end of everything I had dreamt of. The dream of a loving husband, a person that I can lean on, someone I can serve with in church, a family with children of my own. These dreams are just normal by the world standard and now I won't be able to enjoy them. My world collapsed. The good life I, the good life I thought I had and will have is tragically broken. With Kai passing, people kept telling me to grieve with hope. At first, I really couldn't understand what it meant. In my mind, I kept on thinking the last things of his life, holding his hand, witnessing his last breath. Will I ever see him again? Is my life still worth living? Frankly, I, don't, I didn't think God could ever understand how it feels to be separated from one's spouse. Because even though God created marriage, he was never married before. How can he understand to have the one I love torn away from me? And one day when I was crying bitterly about this again, I felt in my heart God speaking to me. He said, Maria, I know, I know how painful and how hard it is for you to be separated from Kai. I am the father who was separated from my son so that he could die on the cross for you. I suddenly realized that God can understand how I feel. His son was also torn away from him when Jesus died on the cross for my sin. The same feel that Kai is torn away from me with his passing. This allows me to grieve in hope because Jesus didn't remain dead. He rose from death and God's words promise all who believe will have eternal life. This includes Kai and my beloved husband. I have hope because I'm certain of eternal life. I'm certain that I will see Kai again. This hope helps me to grieve in the brightness of light and not to be trapped in the dark room of dread and gloom. This is the faith that Kai held on till the very end. At this time, Kai has already seen 
Well, I still have to work by, by faith, not by sight. I won't lie to you, there are still disappointments. There are still many moments of pain, yet I am with hope. This is also why I'm standing here today to share with you, to encourage you. Well, God didn't promise a good life here, yet we can rejoice because Jesus lives and we have hope in him. Thank you, everyone. This is the first time uh, Maria has shared with our church uh, her own story of grief and loss. Uh, it's a precious thing for our church, but I think also for those of us who have walked through such loss and grief yourself, uh, you probably find what she's saying to be very meaningful and resonate a lot. Death is not just the loss of life, it comes with deep relational impact. Death comes with heavy, heavy grief. A grief that those of us like Maria who have lost loved ones will continue to bear. But if Jesus has truly risen from death to life, then in the midst of grief, there is hope. Death is not the end. Grief is not the end. The grave does not get to have the final word. If Jesus is truly risen, then all who believe in him will rise as well. A few months ago, I got to visit the Armenian church in Singapore. This is one of the oldest churches in Singapore. It's a very beautiful church. But there's something very unusual about the church premises. On the church premises, there was a little burial ground. And this is where members of the church who passed away had been buried. Now, this is not a very common site in Singapore, probably because of, you know, we have land scarcity issues and things like that. But if you look back across the centuries, this is actually a pretty common site. You would find graveyards next to churches, burial grounds on the same premises as the church building. And then the church members who died, they would be buried there. Now, if you think about it, why would churches do this? Right? Imagine going to church every Sunday and you have to walk past the place where your husband or your wife or your child or your friend has been buried. Why would Christians want to revisit their grief Sunday after Sunday after Sunday? Now, there are actually two reasons why churches do this, why they, they bury their dead members on church premises. The first reason is to remind us that death is coming for all of us. In Christianity, the reason death exists is because sin exists. Now, what is sin? Sin is many things. But fundamentally, sin is an approach to life that says, God is dead to me. Sin is living life with the attitude that I don't owe God anything. I don't have to live life his way. I, I can live however I want. Sin is the first corruption. It's the first disorder in life. And what it does is that it breaks that fundamental relationship between you and God. And out of that comes the second corruption, the second disorder, which is death. And you see, where God is, there is life. But when we decided to walk away from God, we also decided to walk away from life and into death. 
having a burial ground on church premises, it reminds us of this very thing. That in our sin, in our rejection of the God of life, death is our eventuality. But there's a second reason why churches bury their members on their church premises. And that is to remind us to hope. Now, if you look closely at the tombstones of many of these Christian graves, you would find hope-filled words from the Bible inscribed on the tombstones. And one of the most common inscriptions you would find on these tombstones are these words from 1 Corinthians 15. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? These graves on the church grounds are a reminder to every Christian that death is not the end. That because Jesus died and rose again, sin is paid for and death is defeated. Those buried in those graves, we will see them again. And we will see them like we've never seen them before. They will be glorious to behold. The dreams we had with them are not lost. They will find their continuation, their satisfaction, their fulfillment in the resurrection. And so as I end, I just want to come back to the words Jesus said to Martha in the Lazarus story. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? This is the question that all of us have to answer. Jesus has declared who he is. He is the resurrection and the life. You may also be like the majority of the people in the Bible who find it hard or silly to believe in something like a resurrection. But if God is the God of the living and not of the dead, and if Jesus is the means of the resurrection, and if Jesus himself not only died but rose from the dead, then not only will there be a resurrection, but as Jesus says, he is the resurrection. And the only way to experience the res this resurrection is to put your trust in Jesus. This Easter Sunday, would you consider genuinely what Jesus has said? And would you make a decision for yourself whether or not to believe? The ball is in your court. And there is no greater life and death question. Could I invite the worship team up on stage and let's bow our heads and come to God in prayer. Now, if you're here and you're not a Christian, um, but maybe you have lost a loved one, you, you, you've experienced grief, you know that there's something wrong with all of this, that there's nothing right or romantic or ideal about death and about grief. And there's something about how Jesus, how he rose from the grave, how he is the God of the living and not the dead. And something about how Jesus, the way he says that he is the resurrection and the life. Something about those things just resonates with you, it clicks with you. I just want to invite you to put your trust in Jesus this Easter Sunday. Jesus died to pay for your sins, for my sins, but today Jesus is alive. And Jesus is ready to give you this resurrection life that we've been hearing about this morning. Now, if this is you, and you want to receive this life from Jesus this morning, I want to invite you to just, under your breath, to repeat a simple prayer after me. Prayer is simply talking to God. It's just verbalizing what is in your heart before Him. 
So I'm going to pray a line at a time, and I want you just to repeat this after me quietly, line by line. Let's pray. Jesus, I believe you are the resurrection and the life. I believe you died for my sins. I believe you rose again to give me a hope and a future. Thank you that though you are the God of the living, yet you would die for me. Thank you that though I chose to live apart from you, yet you still offer me a life with you. Would you reveal yourself to me? Would you show me this resurrection life that you offer to all who believe in you? Turn my disappointment to hope. Turn my grief to gladness. Turn my sorrow into laughter. I pray all this in your name. Amen. If you'll allow me, I just want to quickly pray for us as well. Lord God, giver of life, our rescuer and deliverer, both from sin and in death, both in life and in death, we bless you and we adore you. This Easter morning, we remember that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Lord, I commit every one of us who struggles with grief, who is overwhelmed by loss, whose dreams have been shattered, whose hopes have turned into disappointment and despair, those of us who struggle to believe in the resurrection, Lord, revive us, O God. Bring fresh strength. Bring forth a taste, a sneak peek of that resurrection power of Jesus Christ. That even now, on this side of eternity, that we can live with such hope. I pray for those among us who do not know you at this time. Lord, would you reveal yourself to them? Reveal your son for the savior that he is. That he alone is the resurrection and the life. Lord, we come to you and we pray all this in your son's most precious name. And all of God's people say, Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast. You can find more of our sermons online on our website at www.agape.org.sg.